let's go ahead and turn our attentions to the Word of God. Um, If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 this morning. Um, And and listen, if you've got your Bibles, please turn there, turn them on, whatever. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, I just want to let you know, um, after the service, we've got free Bibles out in the lobby at our Info Central. We would love you to go home with a Bible um, this afternoon or this morning. And so please, I want you to grab one of those. But please turn with those. Michael, I want to go ahead and invite you up to read for us out of God's Word. And as Michael comes and he prepares to read from the Word, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's Word? James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Brother? Good morning, church. Here's the Word of the Lord. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Just join me in prayer. Father, you've given us this word where we um, just... Read this morning is not just the words of men. You, you saw fit by your spirit to give these words to your servant James and write them down for your people throughout the generations. And so, Lord, as we come to it this morning, I, I want to just pray that you would help us, our hearts, to be open to hear on what you would have because they're not my words. And, Lord, if they are anything that I speak this morning, Lord, would it just be forgotten? But, Lord, they're your words And we believe your words, and we know that there's life in your word. There's life in doing things the way you have called us to do. There's life in your way, not in ours. And so, uh, Lord, I just want to pray um, that you would help us to see any area in which we need to uh, be more aligned into the way you have called us to live, to to live a life worthy of the gospel that we've been given. And, Lord, uh, just ask your favor, ask for your help, ask for your spirit to be with us this morning, leading us as we look at this word. We just pray and ask these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. So a couple years ago, I uh, had an opportunity to go to a really cool event. It was a pro-life event here in Wichita. 
and, and it was a, a pro-life event where Mike Pompeo was um, speaking uh, to the group of individuals. And uh, as I got to go to that event, it was one of those moments where as I came into that space, I, I got to go with Karen and, and, and it was just the two of us, kind of a date night. And as we went into that space um, and as I sat down at the table, I started to think to myself, man, I feel really, really small because there's a lot of really influential people in that space. Um, I, I mean, for goodness sakes, the whole evening was kind of um, obviously centered on pro-life and, and the importance of voting that way and the importance of, uh, of the value of them both amendment. But um, it, it was also really centered upon um, Mr. Pompeo being present. And so there was security there. There were secret service agents there. Uh, like there was the, the black limos and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when I sat down to eat, there was a secret service agent sitting right next to me, which I was like, this is cool. Um, like I, I kind of watched him the whole time to like see what he was doing because it was kind of neat. And as we think about those kind of moments, um, we think about a, a, an event where, where, man, it's like centered around one person that's coming to give their thoughts and their hearts. Like, that seems like a really natural and normal thing for us. And even in that event, like it seems like that's the right thing to do because you've got somebody who has um, literally tremendous respect among his peers. He's, he's gone to the very tops of our country's leadership in many different ways. Uh, he's a godly man who's, who's well-respected and he's flown to Wichita to speak on, on abortion rights. Like this is, this is all really good stuff. And you think, man, if there's anybody that we should kind of pay attention to, like this is the type of person. And, and I think in an environment like that, that that's, that's fine. But I think it's also important for us to recognize that as people, there's always a tendency for us to look around the people that we are sitting around or the people that we're in a room with and to kind of begin to place them in what we might consider them to be tiers of, of certain importance based on any number of, of, of factors in our lives. And I don't think it was any different in James's day, right? In James's day, they were dealing with the same kinds of issues uh, and it was starting to get its, make its way into the church, right? So landowners, wealthy people, powerful people, people who had lots of servants, lots of influence. And, and it wasn't just landowners, but religious people, people who were seen as kind of religious mothers and fathers within the area and within um, early Christianity. Like there was a tendency, as I think we'll find out today, that, to, to kind of want to elevate those people, to kind of put them in tiers of importance, and sometimes, like I said, it's not always physical. Sometimes it's not always wealth. It's, it's maybe clout or influence or, or spirituality. But here in James, we're given something that seems really, really straightforward. Uh, like it feels really simple. In the church, don't favor the rich over the poor. Easy, right? Like we just pray and leave now? Because that's easy for us to do. Right? Like, like, the, the reality of it is, is that while we might see that that's a simple thing on the front end of things, while it feels like that's a really easy, practical thing for each of us to be able to just apply to our lives and just walk out of here and be like, okay, great. Like, I'm not going to give preferential treatment to the rich over the poor. fact of the matter is, man, this goes way deeper. This goes way deeper into our hearts. And I think we have to start as we look at this text and we have to start with the fact, and I do believe it is a fact that every single person in this room is at some point and in some way tempted to favor people based on all kinds of different things. And here's the question with that though, right? Have you ever wondered why? 
Why are we all kind of tempted to do that? To kind of measure everybody up and and decide who's the most important in the room and, and, and to kind of elevate those people. Like why is that such a natural part of who we are? Why if someone of fame or power walked into here right now, would we want to favor them in some way, shape, or form? And listen, it could be all kinds of people. For some of you, if Ron DeSantis came in here, you'd be like, oh, give him the mic. What if Lisa Turkhurst came in? Or, I I don't know, Taylor Swift. We definitely wouldn't give her the mic, but she's been in the news, so it makes sense, right? Like, if these people came into this room, like, like it'd be hard for us not to want to put attention on those people. And, and, And why? Why is that something that's so much a part of who we are? Well, I think James tells us in verses 8 and 9. So look at verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures... You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, here's the thing. See that if statement? Here's the thing. Like, if you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you might actually be showing partiality. What is, what is, what is James getting to? What is, what is the point he's making? I, I think the point that he's making here is that favoritism ultimately comes not out of loving others, but ourselves. Favoritism ultimately starts when we don't look to other people, but favoritism starts when we start to look to ourselves. And I think there's three things that oftentimes motivates our hearts that we're often rarely or rarely are we absolutely actually aware of those things motivating our hearts. And the first one is this. Selfish ambition. This is a powerful motive in our lives, isn't it? Like to to have ambition, to want to advance, to want to move forward, to be seen as successful. Like this is one of those things that easily comes into our lives. And oftentimes we don't even perceive that it's there. Like we just want to move forward. In fact, we have entire lines in our like, kind of cultural vocabulary that kind of represents this. So like, for example, this line you probably know. It isn't what you know, it's who you know. I've said that to my kids. And, and in some realities, that's a very true statement in our culture, isn't it? All right, like I, I've told my kids at times, like, listen, you may actually not get a job, not because you're not qualified, you may not get a job because you don't know somebody that works there. And it's just the reality of the life that we live in. And we would look at this and say, oh man, like this is okay. This is a reality for us. This statement really does play itself out in all parts of our lives. Connection can be one of the most important things that we think about. One of the most important things that we focus on. And deep down, when somebody walks in to our lives or into our worlds or into our churches or into our homes or whatever it is, who by the world's standards has everything we desire, wealth, influence, a nice house, a nice car, beauty, our natural tendency, if left unchecked, can often be to believe, man, if I get close to them, if I just can get close to them, then then I'll I'll move a little further up where I want to go. Right? Like, man, if, if this person, if he who's so successful, if he can just see me, and if he recognizes um, all the gifts that I have, and if he recognizes how good I am at something, if he recognizes like how, how passionate I am, how zealous I am, how, how dedicated I am to this, then maybe, maybe he'll he'll kind of pull me up along to where he's at. Like maybe I can move a little bit further. 
And, and so we have this idea, and so we want to be around those people that we think might help move us a little bit further in our lives. This is why oftentimes you see um, celebrities, they have entourages. Right, what, are, what are those people trying to do? They're, they're trying to kind of catch the jet stream of their trajectory of life. They want to be them with them. I remember growing up and um, seeing, again, he's in the news right now again because um, they, they think they found somebody who might have been linked to his murder, but Tupac Shakur back in the day, right? And, and he had a huge entourage, all these people that wanted to be around Tupac because Tupac was like being catapulted into fame. And people thought, man, if I just get close to him, like I'll, I'll, I'll be right there along with him. When he goes, my connection to that disappears. And I think this is part of many of our lives. And it may not be a celebrity. Maybe it's somebody that's respected in your field. Maybe for you who are students in school, maybe it's, maybe it's the cool kid. That kid that has everything. They've got the looks, they've got the money, they've got the boy or the girl's attention. They've got the popularity. And, and listen, I, I remember being in high school and feeling, man, if I can just get close to that kid, then I'll be like them. Like, I'll just get kind of sucked into their little orbit of popularity. Like, that was the idea. This idea of selfish ambition that I want to be where they are. I want to move forward. This temptation is why Paul tells us in Philippians what he does. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing. Well, but sometimes it's okay, not according to Paul. Not according to Paul. Paul says do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, I do think it's important. Don't miss this word right here, right? Because ambition in and of itself is not sin, is it? Is it okay for us to be ambitious? Absolutely. It's okay for us to have ambition in life. It's okay for us to have an ambition to, to, to succeed, an ambition to, to provide for our families, to care for the people that God has put around us. But selfish ambition is a whole nother issue. So favoring somebody or a group of people based on selfish ambition is ultimately rooted not in the love of others, but in the love of self. It's rooted in the love of myself. But not just selfish ambition, it's also selfish gain. This is similar, but it's different. Where selfish ambition would want us to move forward in life, selfish gain comes from anything where it's like, man, I, I can get something from being close to this person, or I can get something from being close to these people. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I'm guessing you have if you're really honest with yourself. Where you see somebody and you go, man, if I, if I get close to them, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they would help pay my bill that I'm struggling with. And I'll just kind of let them know, uh, you know that I'm struggling. And maybe they'll just be kind enough to give me some of those funds to be able to uh, help pay for that. Or, or maybe, maybe if I'm just close enough to them, maybe they'll take me on a vacation because I know they can afford it and they like to be with people. And so I'll just leverage the relationship. And so I'll give them special attention because I, I too want to, to gain from um, their wealth. I want to gain from them. You know what? Maybe they, I don't want them to give me money, but you know what? They're about to buy a new TV. Maybe they'll just give me their TV. 
Or, or let's, let's even talk about the church. Hey, we're about to do a building campaign, and so I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to call up um, those that are, are the most wealthy people in the church, and we're going to call them and see, how, how are you doing? And, and, and listen, would you be willing to give to these things? Would you be willing to, to give to this building campaign? And listen, we'll even, we'll even make the carpet yellow, which would be disgusting, but, right? If you just give a big sum, like, we'll, we'll do that. Like, when we start saying sometimes what's inside of our hearts, like, it sounds really ugly, doesn't it? Like, I'm guessing nobody in this room would ever admit to actually thinking those things, but I think most of us have. At some level, at some point, most of us have. This is why the rich and the poor, it makes such a good example, because we don't even have this thought into, into our minds when we're dealing with someone who doesn't want, have anything we want. If someone doesn't have any influence, someone doesn't have any power, someone doesn't have any money, somebody doesn't have anything that you desire, you don't even think that you might gain something with a relationship. Unless the enemy even starts to make you think, well, listen, if I love these poor people, then these people over here will actually think more highly of me. Oh, see, it's everywhere. Oh, I'm going to love these people who can't give me anything because if I love these people, then God will be happier with me. Or if I love these people, then, then, then maybe I'll have more joy in my life. You see, like, it, it sneaks in all over the place in our lives. This idea and this temptation to, to find selfish gain by the relationships and the people that we engage with. The enemy loves to sneak these quiet motivations into our hearts. And I think partly the reason he does that is because he knows that if they begin to seek seep into God's church, it is unbelievably erosive, unbelievably destructive, unbelievably hurtful, and frankly, contrary to how he wants his people to live and act in their lives, especially in comparison to the world. So the temptation to favor comes from selfish ambition, it comes from selfish gain, but it also comes from self-importance. You know, there's a reason that we post pictures of ourselves with famous people when we have the opportunity to meet them, isn't there? Again, I think there's reasons that we rarely think about, the reasons that we rarely even ponder because it's so natural, right? I mean, listen, if um, Patrick Mahomes came to church this morning, Patrick, if you're listening, just come on. But if Patrick Mahomes came to church this morning, there would be a line of people out the door to take pictures with him and get an autograph. I'd probably be there too. A line of people, and we would play, take a picture of ourselves and with Patrick Mahomes, and we put it all over Facebook, all over social media. And, and, and here's my question. Why do we do that? Why, why are we driven to do that? Why is that part of our nature? Why aren't we going to um, Emma and Everett Lacey, who served coffee this morning, why aren't you taking pictures with them on social media and being like, see, there's a reason why. It's because we believe that if, if we're next to people that everyone else thinks is valuable, they'll think we're valuable too. There's a reason that, that if, we, if we can be next to those people that everybody else values and thinks is awesome, then they'll think we're, it'll rub off on us just a little bit. Like it'll make our value a little bit more. It's why when we were kids, we lament so much when we were invited to the cool kids party. You may not even like the cool kid. The cool kid might be a jerk. 
but you wanna be there because you know if you're next to the cool kid, then it makes your importance go up. Like your value in our minds oftentimes is related to the people that we kind of rub shoulders with, right? And it makes us feel good to be able to say like, yeah, I had dinner with Mike Pompeo or I had dinner with this person or I, I met this person on the street and they talked to me and, and man, like it, it makes us feel more important. And we hang those pictures up on the wall and it gives us opportunities to tell stories about our experiences and how we were in that really cool spot with those really cool people. And again, our temptation to favor people, to look at people, to show partiality comes from a selfish nature in our hearts. It's the opposite of seeking to love neighbor as ourselves, and it's seeking to love ourselves. See, the point that James is making is that we are to walk, if we are to walk this road to completion that he is calling us to, that God is calling us to, we cannot favor people or groups because of any selfish motivation. In fact, we're to be a people of what we call true love. If we go back to that verse, that verse eight that talks about loving your neighbors as yourself, like, like this comes straight from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 22. When Jesus says, when someone asks Jesus and says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, I'm gonna stop there. How are you doing? Like some of you laughed, good, because you recognize you're like me. You're not there yet. And that's okay. We need to give ourselves some grace in that space because God is giving us grace in that space. Like I wish that I loved God with my whole heart, my whole soul, and my whole mind. And some days, a lot of days, I just don't. But you know what I can say? I love God with more of my heart, soul, and mind more today than I did five years ago. And I hope that I love God with more of my heart, soul, and mind today than I did five days ago. That's the goal, amen? Like, that's what we're called to do. So don't be discouraged by that, but we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. So church, listen, one goal you have as Christians is this. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. But then he goes on and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every single component of what we are called to be and do and treat the people that are around us comes right to this spot. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. James anchors us to these commands when he says in James chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, so that's us, Brothers and sisters, we'll just add that. Show no partiality as you do what? Hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And you say, now how does that tie to understanding our love of the Lord, our God, with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind? Like how are those two things, how are those two things connected? Because I think you should actually circle and highlight this and be mindful of what James is telling us here, that we, if we want to be a people of true love, we need to first and foremost need to hold tight to our faith. Why? Here's why. Now, if you've highlighted that in your Bible, now put a little arrow and point to Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 43, where we read this. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, I want to pause 
Peter's saying that because prior to this moment, he didn't believe that. There was a part of Peter that still believed that God showed partiality, but he's now saying, I truly understand God shows no partiality. To him, all, or to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of, of sins through his name. Amen? Who does? Everyone. Rich, poor, slave, free, murderer, drug dealer, money launderer, liar, thief, alcoholic, good husband, bad husband, good wife, bad wife, A student, C student, right? Like everyone, pretty, not so pretty. Athletic, the person who couldn't throw a ball if their life depended upon them. Like, like none of it matters. None of it matters to him. The only thing that matters to him is your faith in him. If you've believed in him, then you get to receive the forgiveness of sins. Like this is where it starts. So when Paul, so when James says, like, hold tight to your faith, like that's the reason why we would never show partiality. Listen, let me ask a question. Did Jesus, did Jesus show selfish ambition when he loved you? Did you move him anywhere but down? He had to come down to be with us. We didn't increase anything of his ambition for us. Was there selfish gain in mind in Jesus when the nails were being driven into his hands and his feet? Can you give him anything that he needs? Anything that, that he doesn't already have? Anything that, that like, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't gain anything by the sacrifice he made, except us. Was he loving you to make himself the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the infinite, the holy one, more important? Does your presence next to the king make him more valuable? Is he taking selfies with you and be like, hey, look, it's Darren. He's, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is he's the one who sits on the throne. Remember Revelation? We just talked about that. He's the one who speaks and we all just stop. He's nothing. And yet he died for us. This is the reason why we should love others. Ephesians chapter five. We should walk in love as Christ loved us us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Like we are to walk in the same kind of love that Jesus had for you and for me. Is it a selfish love? Absolutely not. It's the opposite of a selfish love. We aren't to look at others the way the world does. We're to look at others the way Jesus does. And we're to love others the way he, he loves them and the way we love ourselves. I think James and Jesus both remind us of that when they tell us, hey, love others as you love yourself because naturally we don't need anybody to teach us what that looks like, right? Have you ever had kids? They're pretty good at loving themselves. 
we're all really good at loving ourselves. We could just get a little better at masking it as we get older. But man, when you have a baby, they're like, I'm the center of everything. It doesn't matter if you're tired. They're going to scream when they're hungry and you, you better get up. It doesn't matter um, if they want your attention. Like, it doesn't matter if you're at work. Like, it doesn't make any difference. Like, they're going to scream until you pay attention to them. Like, they are the most self-centered little beings on the face of the planet, and we're all just like them. Like, we know how to love ourselves. I know how to love myself. I want to put myself at the beginning center of everything. I want to make, I want to make my gain, my desires, my heart, the, you know, my best things. I want to put that before everybody else. And without Jesus, but that's just my nature. It's our kids' nature. It's all of our natures. But because of Jesus, we have a different way. When we see someone great in this world, someone in this world would say, man, like that's someone to pay attention. We, as Christians, are to see them through the eyes of love, the eyes of Jesus but we're also to see the lowliest of people with the same kind of eyes equal. And we're to treat them the same. Listen, would you be willing to offer your seat at the CEO's table so that your coworker could have a better chance at getting the job than you? That's hard. Like students, listen, for you, and I know this is real, I got teenagers. I know I was a teenager. I know that's hard to believe. At one point, I was a teenager too. And, and here's my question. Would you purposely go sit at the uncool table just to love them well? Even if you knew everybody would be like, what's wrong with you? Listen, I know that even when I say that, like your brain starts to spin. It's like, oh, but listen, that's not really what he means. God loves the cool people too. And, and that's not really that important. And, and they're weird, and they, they, they bother me and they get on my nerves. I think we probably get on Jesus' nerves. Or is it just me? <laughs> I think I get on Jesus' nerves sometimes. But he, man, he loves us, doesn't he? He loves us enough to die for us. This is the call that we've, called, we've been given, is to not just treat preferential, but to seek to love and to treat everybody the way Jesus has. And it's hard. You can't just decide to do this. This can only come from the deep realization that it's what Jesus did for you. Listen, Jesus could have sat with kings and it still would have been too little for him. He could have been put at the table, at the head of the table of every ruler on the planet in the first century and it still would have been like paupers to him. He should be sitting in the box seats. He should be hanging out with celebrities. But you know who he hung out with? The fishermen and the harlots and the sinners and the everybody. All the sinners, the, 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 the people like us in this room, that's who Jesus sat with. So in this, we're also, if we want to walk in this way, we also have to understand we've got to learn to value what he values. Verse five says this, listen, listen. I love it when the scripture tells us this. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Uh, listen, here's what I think this scripture is talking about. I actually think it means two different things. 
with the same words. One, I think he does actually mean the physically poor and the physically rich, because here's why. The physically poor are more naturally bent to be dependent upon God because they know they don't have any other choice. Like if you've ever walked through the slum or you've ever been in a place where people are legitimately and genuinely poor and they don't have enough, like they are dependent upon the Lord. And there is a beauty to that faith that is just amazing. It's just awesome. Our tendency here, and listen, I'm speaking for myself, like sometimes it's really hard for us not to think that we have the ability to pave kind of our own way, right? To kind of make life good for ourselves. And so I legitimately think that the poor oftentimes have a greater faith in many of those areas. But listen, let me just tell you this, though. I have known some some in this very church that are wealthier than most any of us could dream who are the poorest people I know because they're poor in spirit, because they're, they're contrite in heart. And so while this text says, man, listen, yes, the poor in this world have, have, have oftentimes been given more faith in that space. Man, I've known some really rich people that have a deep and tremendous faith in God and who in God's eyes are truly poor, and that is why he is blessing them, amen? This has nothing to do with how much money you have in a bank account. This has to do with our hearts. Are we poor in spirit? Do we recognize our dependence, our need in Jesus Christ? God elevates this the most. That's what he elevates the most. Those who are poor in spirit. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Again, the words of our Lord. But whoever would be great among you. Do you want that? Do you want to be great among us as Christians? You must, must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Think about the church. How many people have slipped into the subtle temptation to be frustrated when they believe that the church isn't serving them enough? Do you come to church to serve? Or to be served. Are you the church? Is probably a better way to say it. To be served or to serve. See, when Jesus looks at us, what he truly sees in every single person in this room, he sees the great ones. And it has nothing to do with clothes on your back. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with how much influence this world has. It has to do with, are you a servant of all? Are you a slave of all for the sake of Jesus? There is a freedom in letting God change this perspective in our lives. Those who do this, man, these are the people that we should desire to take selfies of and put on social media, aren't they? Well, like, like, can you just imagine, like, if we as a church were like, man, that's what we're going to do, and we're going to go for, like, I don't know, hashtag low like Jesus. Right? And we start taking pictures of the lowly people, the people who are serving behind the scenes. And we post it on Facebook and say, like, this, this person has for decades 
got up early every single morning on Sunday when nobody saw them and they, they, they were here to make sure communion was ready for everybody in the room. Or this person, I want to take a picture of them because they laid their entire lives down. They gave up wealthy jobs to go serve on the mission field. I'm going to take a picture of this person because this person, you would never know it, but they give hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church. Or I'm going to take a picture of this person because every week they're willing to come early and get themselves out of bed while the rest of us are still snoring. And they're here to make sure you get greeted when you walk in the door. This is what Jesus is seeing. Are we? Are we seeing that? Or do we get too wrapped up in what the world sees? And we start looking at what the world has and we start looking at the pretty people and the, and the wealthy people and the influential people. See, what God values has nothing to do with power or prestige or wealth or the lack of any of those things. As 1 Samuel says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do we? James's whole point is don't be like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't give preferential treatment, especially in the church, to those who have power and wealth. But because of what he has done for us, truly love, be faithful to the law of liberty and value what he values most of all, others who look most like Jesus. Look at the dirtiest of sinners and see them as people Jesus would exalt if only they would just give themselves to him. This is what we're supposed to do. If we want to be a people of true love, not only should we do that, not only should we see as he sees and value what he values, but we need to be a people who judges without mercy, or with mercy, sorry. James says in verses 12 and 13, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Let me read that statement again. Judgment is without mercy mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So, so here's the thing. Everyone in this room is going to be judged. I know we don't like that, but it's true. And if we refuse to show mercy, then in our judgment, we will not be given mercy. That's scary. That's scary. Because mercy triumphs over judgment, is what he says. So let's just walk through this. We are to act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, the law of freedom. What is this? For the believer, the law that we are judged by is not the law of rules and regulations. And so some of you have been in the part of the church and you're like, it's all about lists and rules and things that we're supposed to do. That's not what it is. This is the law of righteousness. We were not given what we deserved. This is the law of liberty. What we deserved was judgment because we did not and cannot carry out the law of rules and regulations. But we were given mercy. Never forget the word mercy means not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. In fact, not only do we not get what we deserve in our judgment, but we get what we don't deserve through Jesus Christ and his blood in grace. It's like a double gift, right? Like, I don't know, your kid like comes up to you and like screams at you and says, I hate you, mom and dad. And you say, I love you. Here's ice cream. 
You gave them mercy and grace. Because the mercy is they didn't get a butt whooping like they deserved. And the grace is you gave them ice cream. Like our entire life is mercy and grace. Like this is the law of liberty. Like you don't earn mercy and grace. Like it's just there for us. And, and, and we're given the righteousness of Jesus when we didn't deserve it. So in your judgments of others, the sinner, the self-righteous, the rich, the poor, whoever it is, everyone, make sure that it's with the right perspective and you give mercy and grace because mercy and grace was given to you. And the second you hear in your thought and in your mind the justification why this person needs to be treated less than or this person needs to be treated more than, go back to the reminder that Jesus didn't do that for you. Jesus gave mercy and grace and mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, the king sat with the poor. The king sat with the rich with the wretched. So we need to act like it. True love will never engage relationships without mercy. And just think about that. True love will never engage relationships without mercy because we will always fail. Mercy is saying, I do not demand what you deserve. And we can never judge with mercy if we haven't experienced mercy ourselves. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you think someone doesn't deserve your presence, neither did you. When you think someone deserves the seat that you should be in, you remember, like, Jesus didn't demand that. When you see someone you think they don't deserve this, Neither did you. And so when we're tempted to show partiality out of selfishness inside of our hearts, we're being called by James to lay that down and to love as Jesus loved, to seek to outdo others in honor, to look at every single human being that comes into this church, into our lives, into our homes, into our workplaces, and every human being that, that we meet out in this world this week with the eyes of God and to love them as Christ loved us. To love them as you love yourself. To seek their good, not yours. To seek their ambition, not yours. To seek their gain, not yours. You and I can't do that apart from Jesus. Amen. simply a reality. When you do this, I believe that the problem of favoritism will simply just disappear. So here's how I want us to end this morning. I want us to end with communion because so much of what we've talked about here this morning is the gospel, amen? It's that, listen, he didn't show partiality to you and me. And so go ahead and take out your communion cups. If you didn't grab one of those when you walked in, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll make sure those get to you. But here, here's what I want us to do as we look at this text. As we look at this, as we turn our attention to communion, I want us to be reminded of God's goodness 
I want you to be reminded of God's goodness. His goodness to not give you what you deserved. His goodness to give you what you, do, what you don't deserve. His goodness to make us his own. There is no room for self-righteousness at the table of Jesus Christ. There's no room for looking at other people the way the world does when we're sitting at the table of Jesus Christ. It's simple. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to lead you in a time of confession. I want to lead us into a time of confession before we take of this. I'm just asking a couple questions and I want you to just ponder these things in your heart. And between you and the Lord, like I, I want you to confess. If you, if you answer, yeah, I've done this, or yeah, I've walked in this way, like would you just lay that before him? But have you been guilty of showing partiality? Have you been guilty of looking at others with selfish ambition, selfish gain, self-importance, self-righteousness, which we didn't even talk about. Have you been guilty this week of not loving God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind? Every single person in this room should be confessing the Lord right now. Have you been guilty of not loving your neighbor as yourself? And I wish I could tell you that was the people that were nice to you. It also means your enemies. It means the people that hate you. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. Have you been guilty of withholding mercy or making a judgment upon somebody else without mercy? Husbands and wives, let me just tell you, and it's really easy to do this in our relationships with our you with each other. To demand things, to expect things. Man, to not give the mercy we are so dependent upon to the ones we say we love the most. Are you guilty of withholding mercy? Have you been guilty of expecting that others show partiality to you? That one's hard. Have you, been, have you been guilty of thinking, I should be the one people look to. I should be the one people listen to. I should be the one that people serve because of all of the things I've done, because of the things I've said, because of my wisdom, because of this, because of that. Are you guilty of a different kind of partiality where you expect it? Because that too is sin. And causes tremendous destruction in the hearts or in the lives of the church. 
Are you poor? Are you guilty of being rich in spirit? Notice I didn't say wealthy in the world, rich in the world. That's not what we're talking about. Are you guilty of being rich in spirit? I can do this. Since we confess these things to the Lord, the beauty of confession is that we are given the promise that if we confess our sin, and let's just be real with what all those things are, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. Because as we're about to partake in this communion, we're reminded that his blood and his body surpass any of your wickedness. It's able to cover all of it. And he willingly gave of his body and his blood when you could give him nothing, when you were his enemy, when you deserve nothing but his judgment, he said, man, I, I got it. I think that's what he would say. I'm gonna let my blood be poured out of my body for your sake. And so church together this morning, I wanna encourage you, go ahead and take out that piece of bread. As you take and eat of this piece of bread, as we take and eat of this bread together as God's church, we are reminded of the mercy and the grace that has been bestowed upon us. And he has given us a righteousness that is not our own. He loved us when he could gain nothing from us and needed nothing from us. And so church this morning, because of his great love, I encourage you, Take and eat of this bread knowing that all of your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and the, and, and the broken body of Jesus Christ. So church, take and eat the bread that represents the body that was broken for you. And church, take and drink. Open up your cup and drink of this juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. And God manifested his love for us in this. That, he, that Jesus became sin for us. So church, drink and be reminded of your salvation. Lord, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this reminder of what we're called to be, but I'm so thankful that this reminder is anchored into the gospel. May we be encouraged by the gospel. I pray and ask.